0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with on Nissan on News Talk.
1: Yes, Regina and Mick are both with me. Regina Doherty is, of course, the Finnegall Senator, and Mick Barry is a Socialist TD for Cork North Central. And the question we are asking in common ground this week is whether Europe is a force for peace. Before we get the views of Regina or Mick, Elaine Smith has been asking that question of the people in Cork.
2: I don't. I think the only good thing is that we can go from country to country freely. I think we have given away all our rights. Our country is not our country anymore. We are part of Europe and Europe will eventually govern us. Yes, I believe uh, they've done good things for Ireland, certainly. Things like uh, utilities, uh, uh, they've obviously uh, paid somewhat towards the motorways. The laws anything to do with human rights and uh, LBGT and all of this stuff is obviously good for for us the the more we can get on together the better yeah it has its pros and cons the pros is that we have a bigger economy i suppose our courts as well that would be a pro that we can approach the european court of rights for any wrongs that's been done and i think now especially with what's happening in ukraine that we have that solidarity but the bad thing is our fishermen certainly
0: feel it very badly the fact that we've practically given away our fishing rights to the EU? No. The European Union, I think we actually did good out of it. For my children, my grandchildren, that they can travel to where they want to go. They can't in England.
2: Ireland needs it. We are part of Europe. We need the trade. We we need the, the infrastructure. Uh, as European citizen, you can go around the European countries, live there, work there. There is a court system, if if human rights are being violated, that people can appeal to. So If we were to leave the European Union, we just fall apart. It's not a perfect system but we have to make the most of it.
1: Alright, I think general views is what we'll describe that as uh, on uh, the European project with everything there from fisheries to the courts to LGBT plus rights to free trade to economics uh, you name it. Someone did mention Ukraine as well and Europe as a force for peace uh, in the world. Uh, Regina, is Europe a force for peace?
2: I think in the main, yeah. So when you look at the origins of what it was born out of um, that we had had obviously generations of what you can look upon back now as probably really futile and stupid um, disagreements and war. So the the origins of it was to join together to make war unthinkable, first of all, and materially impossible. Um, But it morphed into something so much more. So it was initially started off as a cooperative movement to make sure that we never, you know, retrograded back to um, how certain dictators were able to uh, be forceful in the past, but we have you've heard the, the people on your Voxbox talk about the enormous benefits that we've got and so when you look at it, it was established, the EEC was originally established um, to raise the economic standards of every country so that wealthier countries could lift the boats you know, of poorer countries both from an infrastructural perspective and an economic perspective, but also to maintain certain standards, you know um, the rule of law, economic standards now we've had our ups and downs and we've had major crashes and we've had major blowouts, and, but 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 I think on the whole, when you look at the pillars of which they've tried to conform around both economic, environmental and particularly social, um, Ireland has definitely benefited enormously from the social developments um, and the environmental and infrastructural developments. When I was a kid growing up and you'd see a new road or a new bridge, you always had the EEC, EEC sign, you know, decided to say this was either part or all funded, paid for by the EEC. So it like, literally transformed our country in about 20 years. And I've been privileged enough in the last number of years to, or months, to go to Moldova. And Moldova is where Ireland was maybe in the 70s, both economically and definitely infrastructure. I remember we were driving on a road one day, the motorway, and it just ended. There was no more motorway. Um, once they get their membership to the EU, you will see a transformation of both the infrastructure in that country, but also the rules that they govern. Yeah, so there's a really positive element mm-hmm. to it. And there's a bit you know, of a downside, too, that sometimes there is overreach. Um, the veto that each country maintains I think is incredibly important and I know there are some countries that would like to get rid of it but I would be vehemently opposed okay. to it. So on the whole, I would have lots of pluses in the good yeah. problem,
1: you know. Uh, Mick, the the explanation Regina offered, I suppose is what you'd describe as it is the perceived wisdom as to the foundations of the European project, you know, born of the World War Two experience, a project for peace.
0: Yeah, I would accept that that is the perceived wisdom Um, But the perceived wisdom doesn't always tally with the actual reality. So I'm going to ask a question. Um, The question is, who are the top arms exporters in the world today? And if you were to list the top 10, you would find that five of them are EU states. Uh, We were just talking before we went on, and there's a little screen in the corner of the room here, going to extra time. About the Qatar World Cup, um, one of the reasons Qatar got the World the the, the World Cup was that the UEFA delegate um, came in behind Qatar. Uh, the UEFA delegate was Michel Platini, uh, who had been contacted by the French Prime Minister uh, Sarkozy uh, and asked to support uh, Qatar. And uh, six months after the decision on his vote was very important in that, uh, Qatar bought uh, €15 billion worth of fighter jets jets, uh, from the uh, French uh, state. So, uh, yes, we have peace in Western Europe. There's obviously a war taking place in Ukraine at the moment. Um, But the EU as a force for peace, no, leading EU nations and huge... Military corporations that are very close to EU governments, uh, they are promoters of the arms industry and the new arms race that's actually now taking place in the world uh, today.
1: Regina, can we claim to be a force for peace in the world?
2: So There is a nuanced difference between what Makers has just described based on individual countries. Who use their autonomy, which obviously we all maintain, particularly from a business perspective, um, and a cooperative movement that was the EC that is now the EU. And so when you look at our common foreign policy around defence, around foreign aid, excuse me, around democracy and human rights, there is an absolute difference. Um, and significant difference particularly in the last 10 years and you can even see how today European countries uh, respond in a forceful way and it's usually around money because that's obviously where we hoard people in their pockets for example obviously the antics of uh, Hungary and the Hungarian government with regard to rule of law. There is ways that we can respond. Now you can't stop any country, be it France, Germany, Switzerland, any country that has an indigenous um, business selling that business. And I also will say, make us right insofar as that we have large what we call NGOs, like FIFA, like the IOC, like international organisations that are supposed to be acting ethically in the common good. We have seen in the past that they have succumbed to corruption and to you know bribery. I think that's down to human nature. It's not necessarily down to making a project that in the main okay. has given a good established route to prosperous and account, you mm-hmm. know and equality for a lot of countries that wouldn't have otherwise been able to afford okay. to do it on their own, well, um, that helping hand.
0: I think that Regina has raised some interesting points there. Um, I mean, it certainly is the case that uh, European Union states, Kierna's really keeping his eye on the match here. Uh, that,
1: uh, <laughs> Morocco has <have> scored. <laughs> Spain are about to take a penalty.
0: Individual uh, European states uh, do... Act autonomously and do their own thing. For example, uh, the state of Israel, and we all know the oppression that's been rained down on the Palestinian people there. um, People would think, where do they get their arms from? Um, Say the United States. Yes, the United States is the Mm. number one supplier. Number two supplier is Germany. And number three supplier is Italy. But those but it, are deals that were, have been cut by Germany and Italy. So what yes. about the EU itself? Yeah,
1: because what well, people might say, listen to this, is make us criticising EU member states rather than the EU project. Yeah, I'm just coming to that. OK. OK, so okay. Ha- let's
0: have a look at the EU project. So the EU itself has established a fund which is called the European Defence Fund. And this is taxpayers' money that goes into research. Not research... ...to feed the world research on military uh, build-up spending technique. How much has been set aside by the EU for the European Defence Fund... ...in the years 2021 to 27? 8 billion euro. And the beneficiaries of that will be the big arms manufacturers... ...mainly concentrated in France, Germany and Italy... ...but not exclusively yet. so. We also have the plans and the French President Macron has spoken about this a lot, about moving towards a European Union army, um, there's going to be a kind of a stepping stone towards the European army, which is the re- the rapid reaction force, which is to be 5,000 strong and to be in place by 2025. Mm. And disturbingly, our own Minister for Foreign Affairs, Regina's party colleague, Simon Coveney, has said that he's open to the idea uh, that Ireland would be part of that rapid reaction force. That's a bad move. That's something that we should strongly oppose. So the first you thing add? I
2: think what Mick doesn't caveat is that there's absolutely no decisions around made around any European Council meeting table without the unanimous decision of 27. So little old Ireland can you know, rupture any of the best laid plans of any Macron or any head honcho in Germany. Why didn't we, be so we can't, the European
0: Defence Fund? We so? can't be
2: rolled over with anybody because actually I think I support the European Defence Funds and when you look at what they've been spent on in the main in the last 10 or 11 months are structural funds to try and help the millions of Ukrainians that have had to flee their country, but also the weapons that are needed to defend themselves. And so okay, nobody wants to have war uh, except obviously the people that cause it, but those who who are you know, at the other end of it have to be able to defend themselves. And what Mick also won't tell you is that the rapid reaction EU battle groups, what they're specifically modelled for at the moment is, is to Uh, research and present themselves for training for conflict resolution um, or prevention. It's to help people evacuate. It's to help ensure that we have aid delivery in areas where we go in as peacekeepers and to absolutely ensure that in an area where there has been war or continues to be war, that when we go in as a presence, we Mm. provide a stabilising presence. Now, I'm absolutely no doubt that there are certain elements around the 27 table that would like us to go much, much further. But I think you are well aware that from our perspective, and we're not on our own in this in Europe, there's probably well more than half of them, uh, the member states of the European Union like the fact that our common defence policy does allow for neutral stances and we'll never see, unless we all radically lose our heads, you know, in the morning or next week, mm. change our minds to have sure a common defence i that
0: well more than half w- wouldn't bite on that particular apple. So, for example, um, the most talked about the most uh, remembered war of recent times was probably the U.S. Uh, invasion of Iraq and the Iraq War. Uh, when was that? 2003. Mm. Um, how many European Union states, and it is, I, 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 you know, it wasn't as the European Union, it was as states, but how many European Union states were involved in the occupation of Iraq? Answer, 15
2: but you're still right. missing the point. 15. So you're missing the point. What you said at the beginning was that how many would, you know, take a bite out of that, ba- that apple. All it takes is one to say no, and then there is no biting, right? And second of all, the states that did interfere in the Iraqi war did so as an autonomous state because we still all do have our autonomy. Mm-hmm. Ireland has its autonomy, and we're one vote of 27 mm-hmm. that can veto any policy that doesn't have a unanimous decision. All and right. I think that's but what makes it so good as a project, is that we do need all to have consensus and work together.
1: Make way Morocco are about to take a penalty to knock Spain out of the World Cup. And Cristiano Ronaldo has been dropped by Portugal for the game tonight. So, I mean, it's all happening uh, in in Qatar. Actually, do you know what? Let's wait and see if this penalty penalty, uh, goes in. And Morocco through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! Oh, a little dink right down the middle well, an embarrassing Penenka? way yeah. uh, an embarrassing way I think it was Pinenka's birthday an anniversary Good for them. Uh, uh, during the week so uh, a nice way to see the Spanish home so Morocco are through to the quarterfinals, where they will play Portugal or they will play Portugal or the Swiss and mm. Ronaldo dropped there's an interesting one anyway Regina Doherty Mick Barry thanks a million for joining us uh, here in studio